Welcome to the podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd also like to invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 8.30 or 10.45, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. We continue our sermon series on the power of purpose. Why were we made? What is something all Christians, or what are the things all Christians have in common as a reason for our being? The power of purpose, particularly as seen through the book, The Letter of James. So our first scripture is from James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 and 13. 1 through 4 and 13. My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person comes in in dirty clothes, and if you take notice of one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while to the one who is poor, you say, stand there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And then in verse 13, for judgment will be without mercy to anyone who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Before I begin our text today, I want to thank Reverend Bo Horn for, and Reverend Raleigh Walker for filling in for me last week. Jimmy and I took our, my dad, who's 88, on his second trip with us anyway to Big Bend, Texas. As a geologist, that is among his most favorite part of the country. So we planned it a year ago and have been looking forward to it ever since. But it's wonderful to know that we can be gone and everything is just perfect and left in great hands. So thank you. Thank you, Bo. And I know Raleigh is probably resting after a busy weekend and uh, the service today at three and then his class tonight. But I thank him as well. And I failed to mention during our prayer because quite frankly, I couldn't see him But I am so proud and excited that one of our very own Stephen Williams and his beautiful wife, Londie, have been victorious in his bid for sheriff. And I know as his church family, you join me in congratulating them. It is, I'm sure, a very difficult and taxing job, and so we will continue to pray for you, not just today, but always, and give God thanks for you. So now we hit James and the power of purpose. I read, excuse me, a statement in the book, The Christian Atheist, which I've used before by Craig Groeschel. He says, 
We are created to be living examples of God's love to a hurting world. We are created to be living examples of God to a hurting world. In other words, James would remind us that not only is it absolutely essential for what we do on the outside truly to match what we believe or say we believe on the inside, but also that the most important way we can communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ is by our community, by the community of faith. Transformed individuals participate in a transformed community and then it becomes this wonderful cycle of growth and then a transformed community participates in the transformation of its members and individuals so that daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, we are becoming more and more and more the people God asked us to be. When I first entered seminary, we were told by a seasoned pastor who was visiting, now, students, when you enter ministry, you will immediately take up residence in a fishbowl. And I thought, no way. Who would care if I have long hair or short? Why would anyone pay any attention to whether or not my car was out front of my house all night long or not? Who would care if I gain weight, lose weight, don't eat, eat too much? Where I go on vacation? Never, nope, not happening. Well, guess what? My first church where I was the solo pastor, we had about 120 in worship. And wouldn't you know, it did not matter what I preached. If my hair was different, they didn't say, pastor, we loved that sermon. It was either, why'd you cut your hair? Or, oh, I'm so glad you cut your hair. Didn't see your, didn't see your car out last night in front of the parsonage. Pastor, you out of town? You just getting in? Never occurred to me. And it was all well-meaning by people who genuinely cared. And I took it as such. The truth is, however, when we profess faith in Jesus Christ, we all took up residence in a fishbowl. It's just a little more obvious when you wear a stole and a robe. Because... Those outside the church especially are looking to those of us inside the church to see what does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ. We are the representatives of God in this world. And although they may never say anything to you, or they might, but more likely they will not. People are looking at you. They are looking individually at you and they are looking collectively at us. How do we represent the gospel of Jesus Christ? And do we behave in a way that matches what we proclaim about Jesus And so James, in particular, is paying attention to the fact that it is human nature to want to show partiality, and it is. 
Interestingly enough, he's really reminding them that as Christians, most of them in the early church were the poor and the outcast. In fact, one of the main reasons that Christianity grew as it did and spread as it did is because it was intentionally reaching out to those who had nowhere else to go. Christianity was a place for the down and out, the least, the last, the lost, the long ago forgotten. And so in the early church, it was Christians who experienced oppression by the poor, I mean by the wealthy and those with status in the society. And yet it didn't take long for human nature being what it is for those persons who had themselves been oppressed to turn around and treat others in the same manner of oppression so that those who had less than those at the top but had more than those at the bottom treated those at the bottom the same way they were treated by those at the top. James says this is not the transformed community of the gospel. But we have to be honest and recognize that if we admit it, we do approach people more often than we think with prejudgments of who they are and what they're like and what they think and how they act. And so James is warning against that unnecessary judgment that creates an environment where people do not feel welcome. And he makes an argument about that. And he says, first of all, the most important thing is to remember that you have been forgiven and you are not judged by God. And so you, therefore, by the grace of Jesus Christ, his blood on the cross and resurrection on Easter morning, you have been welcomed into the fold. So to judge someone else is to reject your own forgiveness that Jesus has made. It doesn't quite state it that significantly, but that's the way I read it. He's challenging us to recognize that if our faith is such in the forgiveness and mercy of Jesus, then how dare we not extend it to others? But then he goes on to say that it's also because to extend mercy and not judgment is itself the fulfillment of the law. Because God's law is such that love and mercy are always the prevailing forces. Love and mercy. I am convinced that we in the church at times do a fantastic job. More than once I have been told what a welcoming place this is. There is always room for improvement. And it's not just collectively, but individually. Again, it's a both and. It's as we do individually and as we become collectively. It's so tempting when we arrive at church, we want to see our friends and spend time with the people we like and we know, and then we fail to notice that there's a new couple or a new person who's been coming for weeks and just sits by himself or herself, or just sits alone because we're not really tuned into that. It's not meant in a critical way, but the effect is the same. Again, I think Trinity does a fine job, but... There is room for improvement. 
Trinity has the potential to be a place where people in a hurting world can say, you know what? The rest of the world may not get me and may not welcome me, but at Trinity United Methodist Church, they make room for me. But in order to do that, like I said, we have to be honest with ourselves. Because the truth is, we react to other people often based on our own experiences with others that have nothing to do with the person or people who stand in front of us. We bring with us wounds and hurts and bad experiences that then take root in our minds and we form prejudgments about others, usually not even aware of it. James, in essence, is raising a red flag of caution and saying, if you really want to be the transformed community of Christ, then we as individuals must be transformed. And we have to take responsibility and ask ourselves, am I viewing the other in any kind of a judgmental and harsh way? And if so, why? Now, that is not to say that we simply say all behavior is acceptable. James doesn't say it, and neither do we. But there is a profound difference between someone's behavior and someone's worth. And too often we get those confused. And so we have to ask ourselves, what influences in my world, what other pains and hurts and baggage am I carrying into the church that is going to spill over into my relationship? Sometimes for good and sometimes not. But our purpose as Christians is to create a transformed community as a representative of the gospel of love. We are called to be that group of transformed people. And then James says it again in chapter four, verses 11 and 12. He really hits it home. He says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. Whoever speaks evil against another or judges another, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. So who then are you to judge your neighbor? It is human nature to judge those who are different who look different, think different, act different, come from different places. It is something every Christian must fight against and ask the Holy Spirit constantly to bring to us the ability to love those we might not even like. In his book, Craig speaks of an experience that I think also sheds light on our, at times, unwillingness to create the community we know God asks us to be. It's judgment of a different kind. It's not just judging the people who look different, who think different or act differently. It is, at time, a failure to forgive. Now, you might say, Pastor Juliet, how on earth could my unwillingness to to forgive someone who has clearly wronged me? How can that possibly be a part of judging? How can that possibly be standing in opposition to creating the community God wants us to be? But it does. 
Because when we refuse to forgive those who have wronged us, whether by our own perception or in fact by anyone's perception, have done us wrong, when we refuse to allow that forgiveness in our hearts, we make it impossible for the community truly to continue as Christ would have it. There is a barrier, a judgment, and a discernment that my opinion of someone or your opinion of someone is greater and more righteous than even God's. And this is what he says. He describes first a time in his sister's life when she was in sixth grade, Lisa, who was mistreated, shall we say, by a family friend named Max. And when it came to light, Craig says, quite frankly, I wanted to kill the man. And he struggled with that unwillingness to forgive for years. He says, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The root of bitterness grows in the soil of hurt that has not been dealt with properly. Unknown to me, a root of bitterness started to grow in my heart. Roots absorb and store, and my heart absorbed and stored hurt, anger, hatred, and thoughts of revenge. Love keeps no record of wrongs, but bitterness keeps detailed accounts, and that's what I did. When you pull a weed from the ground, if you don't get the roots, the weed will return. So it is with bitterness. According to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, the only way to eliminate the root of bitterness is forgiveness. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, says Ephesians, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. But he recognizes, as we all do, that this is much easier said than done. And he wasn't sure how he possibly could forgive this man. But in Luke chapter 6, verse 28, Jesus teaches us to bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. And he said, I didn't even know how to do that. And so finally, the only thing he could do was a three-second daily prayer, a three-second daily prayer, and he simply said, God, I pray you work in Max's life. I pray you work in Max's life. And then he said, praying for Max over time changed me. It made me a different person so that I began to contemplate the impossible, asking God to help me forgive him. Colossians 3:13 teaches us to forgive as the Lord forgive you. He said this to forgive Max was a decision based on my choice to obey, not a decision on whether I felt like forgiving. Nothing in me felt like forgiving Max, but I still made the choice to try. By faith, I told God that I released Max from his sin. And then he said, with God's help, I'd done the humanly impossible. I felt as though a spiritual weight had been lifted. The Bible became clearer. God seemed nearer. 
My heart was purer. We bring into a community of faith all the unresolved relationships that we carry with us. And they don't have to be just with relationships in the church. We are individually a collective of all of our experiences and relationships and that powerfully impacts who we are when we all get together. And so before we come to church, we also should be asking ourselves, where in my world must I forgive? Who am I judging as somehow less worthy than I? In what ways have I been saying, well, God, I know I sin. I know I need forgiveness. I'm grateful to you for forgiving me, but at least I don't sin like that. We all do it. It's a struggle every Christian must confront. It's so much easier to talk about those out there as though they are different than those in here. But the purpose for us as Christians that we share is a calling to a transformed community. It is a calling to be different, to welcome one another, to say to each other, you know what, I don't agree with you. I think you're wrong. But the grace of Jesus Christ has forgiven us both and there is room for us both in this place. I became United Methodist precisely because I believe that so passionately. Although it has been suggested that on particular issues, I have a very definite opinion, my true opinion is I believe that grace is for us all, meaning that we are a transformed community when we can come together and do not agree and tell each other we don't agree. I think you're wrong. I don't like the way you read that scripture. But then to proclaim that a transformed community makes room for all sinners, those with whom we agree and those with whom we don't, that says the Lord is going to work in me and the Lord is going to work in us. And I'm gonna tell you something, there are a lot of hurting people in this world who have no idea what the love of God in a church community can do. They have no idea. They don't come because they're afraid they won't fit in. They're not wealthy enough. They're not sophisticated enough. They're not religious enough. They didn't grow up in church. But that's not the church Jesus desires for us. We are to be a transformed community that says, come as you are and encounter the grace of Jesus. We leave different than when we arrived. Come, experience the love of Christ in people who will take you a casserole when you're sick in the commun- when you're sick and in the hospital, even if we think you're wrong, even if we don't even know your name. Come, be a part of a transformed community to see love in action. And then work on ourselves. Pray to God for the wisdom and ability to show us in our own hearts where we need to grow individually and as a church. Again, Trinity does a marvelous job, but is there room for improvement? 
always, individually it matters. And then individually we come together and collectively it matters. What is my vision for Trinity? My vision for Trinity is to continue the path that you are on of loving and welcoming, but to do so on an even more expanded scale. Because we live in a hurting world. We live in a place, in a time where people are isolated emotionally isolated, spiritually isolated. Where else would we want them to come but not church? So I have a confession to make. I watched a show this morning, a documentary. I had recorded it. And it was on the adult entertainment industry. Aside from sitting there with my mouth agog, for the interviews that were being held. All I could think of was, Lord Jesus, these people need you. They need you. But the second thought was a judgmental one. Thank you, God, my children don't do that. Thank you, God, that it was a judgmental one. We all struggle. We all have the groups we have to say, but no, Lord, you love them as much as you love me. And so then the third thought was, dear Lord, please help them find a loving church home where they can come to experience that you want the best for each one of us, health and wholeness, love and mercy and grace. A place perhaps that they had never experienced before. We all come with something. But we don't have to stay that way. Because the power of God in Jesus Christ is transformational. When we open our hearts and our minds to his unchanging love and mercy, we ourselves, we ourselves become conformed to him from the inside out. And then together... We become the transformed community the world desperately needs. And if you agree, say amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.